Welcome to the very first um, production of Road Capitals. So this is where we challenge your thoughts, provide alternative views to many topics that gravely concern you. So here today we have Johan, um, our main character for today's show. So he has many interesting perspectives to share stemming from his life experiences. So Johan, um, let's begin. What have you been up to um, today or this week? Man, it's been a pretty rough week, especially since I started becoming a business owner, I would say. In the past, I used to be a software engineer. Before that, I used to play cards every day, non-stop, practicing for tournaments, thinking of ideas, going to different kinds of tournaments, maybe like twice a week, three times a week. So I would say, ever since, a lot, a lot of things have changed uh, since I was a youth until now. I will say more responsibilities. That's one thing. One thing is that the word responsibility is very odd. Because many people think that just by growing up, they instantly become a responsible adult, which is a very odd thing to say. Some people think having a kid, you know, I'm very responsible having a kid. Oh, I take care of my parents. I'm super responsible here and there. But you want to know what is the most interesting thing I learned about responsibility? I'll, I'll let you try. What is the most important thing about responsibility from your point of view? Uh? Most important thing about responsibility, um, I think to me, uh, it's really um, taking charge of your own decisions and, um, and, and really be responsible for um, every action that you take. How about yourself? What do you think? I'd like to hear from you. Bingo. I think being responsible is very important. Because when you look nowadays, right, nobody wants to take responsibility for anything. They let someone else decide what they want to do in life. They let someone actually tell them, you know what? You want to wear a face diaper, you have to wear it. And then they enforce everybody, oh, you better wear the face diaper. You're not, you're not, you're not getting in a wiper. But then again, when you think about responsibility, right, it is far easier to take the route that it's so easy. You just conform, you know, just, just do whatever you're supposed to do. Go to school, go to college, get good grades, get a good job, la la la. Marry a girl, eventually becomes fat. And then, yeah, that's pretty much the life that most people live. So the thing about responsibility is that when you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, or maybe you start your own business, doesn't matter how small the business is, it can be as simple as drop shipping. It can be as simple as running an online business, as simple as doing a YouTube channel, even having your own podcast. You don't understand one thing about responsibility is that nobody is going to help you more than yourself. And so let's say you're an employee, you know, you don't really have to bother too much. You are, you are a normie, you know, you, you have a job, you work a full-time job. Don't really worry that much. You know, you just go with the flow, simple, blah, blah, blah. Maybe your friends carry you here and there. Performance review sucks. Whatever, I just get my 3% raise. And that is a simple life. But the thing is that if you want to go to the next step, you want to be responsible. That's why I'm very, especially when I started this entrepreneurship journey, running a food business, second generation, by the way, I'm a second generation. My dad is a chef, legendary chef. Most people might not know him unless you're on the inside. You know who is he. And so that's why I think that I do have a say when it comes to the food industry. Because there are a lot of amateurs in this industry, especially today, a lot of wannabes opening online bakeries, online what online businesses. Uh, they call it what? Circuit bakers, right? If I'm not mistaken. Why circuit bakers? Because they started doing circuit breaker. Correct, the circuit breaker, the public health bureaucracies that our COVID task force in Singapore has introduced. So many people try to find ways to make money. Like, no doubt, I'm, I'm okay with these guys hustling and making money. But these guys probably think the same way I do, is that their online business will probably not last forever. So they're trying to just make as much money as they can, you know, like hustle, 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 fast, 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 get the money, and then poof, disappear. Because if I understand one thing about the food industry is that 
rental right, takes up nearly a third. In some cases, it can be a quarter, depending on how you negotiate, how you negotiate the rent, all that. And so responsibility, let's give it a responsibility because we are trying, we are like jumping topics here and there. Maybe I'm talking a little bit too fast. But there's one thing to know about responsibility is that if you plan to be an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter what you want to sell, it doesn't matter what type of business you aim to do. You don't notice that the best entrepreneurs, right, are the ones that are very responsible. It's like you look in, for us, we are Singaporean males, you look in national service, the most responsible people, what type of roles do they usually take up? Like, I, I don't know, we, we are both around the same age, we are both almost turning 30 very soon. The ones who are very responsible, right, doesn't mean that they care so much about the team or here and there. Responsible means that they care so much about themselves as an individual, that when you as an individual cannot perform, right, it pisses them off. They get so pissed off. And so when I look at these guys, right, how many years pass? I don't know, 10 years. I look at them, what are they doing right now? You don't know what our jobs they're doing? Make a guess. All me jobs. Is that what you want to say? <laughs> no, they're not, they're not doing all jobs, but I'll say that they are more roguish like myself. Okay. It's a role that many people often look down on. You know, it's regarding sales. It's always property agent, insurance agent, here and there, you know. These two roles right, are often given a very bad rep. But there's one thing that people don't understand about these two roles is that it teaches you about sales. And when you do a business, right, if you can't sell, right, that means you can't really take ownership of you, over your business. You have to probably hire someone else to, you know, go in front and be your soldier, throw in front of the battlefield, go and get me some sales. But that usually doesn't work because when you pay someone to be your sales rep, right, other than commission, some of them are just perfectly fine with just a basic sales package, you know, like tech sales, the kind of thing. Yeah, they are basically just an employee. And so it's totally different. So as an entrepreneur, you want to be a business owner, whatever you want to be, you need ownership, no matter what. And if you don't plan on having ownership, then I think that running a business is, yeah, something that you shouldn't even entertain. Because if you can't even take care of yourself, right, how are you going to take care of your employees? And that's why I talk about responsibility. Because when you're running a business, right, it's no longer just being responsible for your family or that. It is, you are responsible for the families that you feed when you're running a business. It definitely goes to a... System, right? Yeah, it's definitely another level. That's why you look at people who are business owners. Yeah, no doubt they are great parents, great fathers, great role models. But the people in their organization respect them. Because he's the guy that puts the food on the table for all of them to bring home. That's what point I'm trying to get across. So let's say recently on my path for entrepreneurship, past one year plus, I would say there are more ups than downs. Because there's one mantra that I always live by is that the problems that I face today are things that I will not face one year from now. You get it? It's like, oh, wow, uh, sales sucks today. Uh, whatever. One year from now, if I carry on putting in hard work, trying to get more sales, trying to get more people trying to come to my restaurant, definitely you'll get better. What? Like, there's no point in worrying now. You have to look things one year from now. And, and that's the thing. I'm looking one year from now and I'll say my sales volume is getting better. And so I think that's something which is pretty good. It's a pretty good running business. First time running a business, by the way, that I'm there almost every day. Yeah, something that I really, really learned a lot from. Completely different from being a software engineer where you just sit there and, you know, take orders from, who knows, maybe the hive mind, the AI that's trying to control us, the shepherds in our midst who are trying to tell us what to do every day. But let's not go off topic. Uh. So I think we should just get into today's conversation. It's a very interesting one. Yeah. So Arnold, what's it about? Hey, yeah. So guys, so uh, we won't bore you too much with uh, 
uh, unnecessary. So we'll jump right into today's topic. So today's topic is actually uh, revolving around the food quality in Singapore. So Johan, very quick question to you. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about Singapore food? Your Any of your favourites? Well, that's a quite a loaded question because I have people who often ask me about food. They like to ask me about, hey, uh, what do you think about Singapore food? Because I, like yourself, we have traveled to many countries. I've been to many parts of Europe. I've been to many parts in Asia. And I've been to America where I think that American food is... I, I think that we're going to have American viewers eventually. I think American food is uh, questionable because there's a lot of chemicals in there. And yeah, everyone calls it the land of plastic food. The best thing that comes out of America is what? Barbecue ribs and second best is burgers, McDonald's. <laughs> is Burger King for America? I have no idea. <laughs> okay, that's okay. KFC is definitely for America, right? Yeah. yeah I think it's KFC Louisiana or something. So you notice, right? What America is very good at, right? Is creating businesses. In com- when it comes to the food, right? It might be questionable, but you have to understand when you're running a business, right? It's all about making money. It's all about the dollar. So there's a very complete difference, right? When you want to ask me about what I what do I think about Singapore food? Because when, when I compare it with America and Singapore, right, you want to know what makes American food so good? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just just I'd like to hear what you think. Why what makes American food so good? What makes American so so good? Um the hype. Everyone's uh, talking about it and uh, everyone really loves uh, Western food and it's very different from what we have. In- in Singapore, I mean, Asian, we have rice, but American, they have potatoes, they have, a, they have salad. I think very, very different uh, to our Asian palates. Exactly. It's, it's the branding. Because when you look at their palette, right? I think I should just adjust my camera so you can see. When, when, when we look at the palette or the food, I think in this. Yeah, hold on. Yeah, the food that they have, right? It's very colorful. It's very different from the Singapore food that you see. We go to hawker centers, you know, what duck rice, chicken rice, mee pork. Maybe mee pork looks pretty good, you know. You put lettuce, minced pork, mushroom, pork blood, and the uh, freaking egg noodles. But hey, by the way, I'm not really sure whether it's egg noodles nowadays because you might not know what goes into those manufacturers because ultimately they are businesses as well. They want to make money. So yes, I highly doubt so. <laughs> yeah, I highly doubt so, right? Like right now there's plastic chicken and very soon it's gonna be a chicken farm that recently unveiled. Not recently, right? I think was it this year, around May, around the same time where they announced the chicken shortage from Malaysia. <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite it's it's something that people don't realize is that a lot of things that happen consequent consequently, there's always things that always pop out at the same time. It's the same, it's like the, the moment they announced the chicken ban and then all of a sudden. Wow, a brand new chicken facility. Then the guy came from US. And here's the back. Here, here, one thing about business is that you don't do business, right? You can't just start business out of nowhere. Well, where's the money coming from? From the sky? There's no demand for it. It's like you're creating a product and nobody wants. And so that's why I think that the food industry, right? There's something going on. There's something sinister in hiding in the shadows, which I've seen for quite a while. But before I get into that, let's talk about food, right? Singapore food. Going for Singapore food, right? It's very polarizing. We have a lot of tourists who come to Singapore. They mainly just eat the same few stuff. Chicken rice, maybe laksa, uh, chili crab. Yeah, these are the top three, right? And maybe sakwe tiao. And so Singapore food has very diverse characters. Is that it's hawker food and everything else is mostly garbage. And maybe the highest tier is 
Michelin star. But Michelin star restaurants, you can find them everywhere. Most of them are in Europe uh, and Japan. I don't think you can find one in Turkey. I, I was in Turkey this year and I tried looking for a Michelin star restaurant. I don't even think there's one. I think you need to double check. I, I really think there is no Michelin star restaurant in Turkey. Salt Bay? No, Salt Bay is not Michelin star. In, in fact, I think Salt Bay is pretty good. Whether you will get Michelin yeah, star. Yeah, Salt Bay is very good. Yeah. Maybe in uh, maybe his store in London or Dubai might get the Michelin star. But the thing about steakhouse is that it's, it's very hard to tell whether it's Michelin star worthy other than the service. Because a good steak is a good steak, right? Unless it's what grass fed. And the other one, Miyazaka. Miyazaka beef. Kobe beef. So you can't quantify the good the, the taste of the, the, the beef because ultimately it's the quality of the, the steak that they're serving you. Right? Unless they can find a way to marinate it and make it taste like the second coming of Jesus. So that is probably something which might come in the future because our food controllers are definitely trying to make a new type of beef, synthetic meat, all that. I don't know what they're trying to do with that. And because I am quite aware of events that are shaping up, especially when it comes to the food industry, because I my, my, my partner, which is my father, Chef Simon Lok, he regularly attends food events go there and see what's the latest offerings. He did tell me in the past, it used to be glorified. Okay, maybe that's the wrong word. Not very glorified. There are chefs. There are chefs that want to gain honor. They, the fastest way to get a career in F&B is to go through competitions. I, I, don't th- I think you might not know about it. Like, that's why you see a lot of master chefs right. and all that. It's, you can't spend time 20 years working in a freaking kitchen in some third world Okay, for lack of a better word, shithole. Because nobody's going to know what you're going to do. So the only way that chefs in the past can actually gain reputation or that, right? Before even the Michelin star, of course, to be at the Michelin star, you most likely need investors. Most of them attend culinary competitions. Way before the master chef, the televised nonsense, the sensational chefs, that kind of era. Completely different. I always hear stories of my father. He's Chef Simon. You can go Google him. In the food industry, everyone knows who is he. He's pretty legendary. He won multiple championships back to back to back. Like, for a few years straight, five, seven, ten years straight. He's the one that is always winning. There's people who always align, him, align themselves to him so that they can, you know, hop on. Because most of them, let's be honest, uh, very rare that we enjoy a meal in Singapore. Unless you're paying what you're worth at a hawker centre. So most of these chefs eventually what, become a head chef or whatever nonsense they eventually become. They take up the role in some random country, maybe Australia or somewhere else. Head chef, la la la. They take up the role and then you realise, hey, the food doesn't really taste that great. You go to some airlines, the food is not that great. I think Qatar and Emirates have been progressively getting better. But SIA, not sure. I might want to take an SIA flight. And so that's why I say that when it comes to food, right, a lot of them had to gain recognition or that true culinary competitions. They had to win at least a gold medal. They're not winning a gold medal right? in the past. That's time there was no social media. There was no what newsletter. There's no uh, food blogs to tell you where to eat. So the quickest way for you to gain like an investor to start a restaurant, maybe get kind of some interest for you to actually go and work in a proper establishment right? was to win food competition. So I do know quite a few names in the past who won these competitions. My dad especially is the guy that won almost everything. He's a coveted prize in almost every industry. He's almost reaching 70 and he's still receiving offers from many food establishments for him to come over and be a consultant. So that's why I know that he's actually pretty damn good. Because I do know some chefs 
the unfortunate thing about chefs is that some of them have very short careers because I did cover this in my book, which I will talk about it a bit, maybe on the next episode or that. A lot of chefs have to retire young because when they stand too long, you do notice that the stove right, is burning their balls. I, I don't think you know that, right? It's the, there's a lot know. of cancerous uh, elements, especially when you're a chef, you're standing so long, especially near heat. The wok is always on fire. The freaking stove is always on fire. The environment that you're in is not very conducive. So most of them don't really have that long careers, especially if they are very highly skilled or they're like 30, 40 years in the honing their craft. Most of them, hopefully they have children early. If not, they won't have any offspring because the freaking flames will burn away their chance of procreating. So that's beside the point. That's what I'm trying to say. Is that the current landscape of the food in Singapore, right, it used to be really, really, very good. I remember in the past, maybe 20 years ago, you walk around neighborhoods, you see many different small businesses. Some of these small businesses are selling different kinds of food. Doesn't necessarily have to be every single store selling chicken rice. There's some store maybe selling their own rendition of their grandmother's cooking. Everyone knows that grandmother's cooking is always quite nice. Okay, I don't really yeah. know. I think most grandmothers can cook well because back in I the agree. past... Women used to cook, right? Women used to cook last time. But nowadays with the social engineering of women, the dual income trap by Elizabeth Warren, a lot of women don't really know how to cook. So the only thing they know how to do is order grab, you know, whip out the phone, order grab. And then, which is another aspect of things that I'm quite concerned about is that when, when people get conditioned to order food through a phone, right? You know what happens? Make a guess. Make a guess. What happens? They lose the instinct to cook. That's one they part. They lose the instinct to taste what's a good food. Yeah, that's one part of it. But the most important part of it, right, is that they think that food comes from the phone. They don't know that the food needs to be goes through a farm, agriculture, la la la. They don't know about how hard those farmers have to work in the rice paddies in Vietnam or Thailand. Maybe in Japan, if you're one of those guys that like to eat Japanese rice. They, they don't understand that food comes from somewhere. And that's the very scary thing. With all the food farms and all that good stuff that's coming out in the labs, is that you don't need to know where the food comes from. All you got to know is that, oh, you just, you know, on my phone, order, order, boom, 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 order. The food comes. Yeah, the food is here. I don't need to know where it comes from. It comes from the lab. Who cares? Best part, they don't even question where the food comes from. And you don't notice that it's getting quite scary because as the food standard in Singapore declines, right? You don't know this, the gener- our Singaporean generation is getting older. And so the ones that actually can taste food can actually tell whether the food is fresh, whether it's frozen, whether it's freaking chicken from God knows where, you know, some lab or some some third world country, frozen chicken, the GMO, the, the injection and all that. They can't really, the youngsters nowadays can't really taste the difference between frozen chicken and fresh chicken. Up to the point where, okay, let me tell you something about myself. I only eat fresh chicken. Like, kampong chicken is what, $10.70 for one at NTUC Finest. Or we call it Fair Price Finest, right? Who cares? I'm paying $10.70 because the chicken is fresh. You think what? I'm going to be one of those guys who are not aware of what they're eating. I'm going to eat what? Frozen chicken for, if I'm not mistaken, it was $6.90 the last time I checked. That's the thing. When you're running a business, right? You have to be aware of all the pricing. It's called ownership. You have to know where's the best place I can get my producers, all that. And so you're not prepared to be like me, to think about where to get a food source, where to get stuff for bank for your buck, right? I don't think you should even do your business. 
And so there's, then that gets to the point, right, about the food, the food standards. One of the things about the food, right? I think that hawker food is amazing because most of them are run by elderly. The psyche of the nation in the past, when it, they used to, when Singapore was from some, lack of a better word, a shithole, some, is it, was it a sh- uh, shipping port or what do you call it? Maritime port. Okay, I'm pretty sure you know this more than me. <laughs> it's a shipping port, right? Yes, yes. Well, it used to be a, ship, uh, a shipping hub. Yes. Yeah. Logistic hub, shipping hub. So sad, right? I'm a student of history and yet I do not really know much about my, my country's shithole past as a shipping port where... Like, people might think they're being offensive calling it a shithole, but you have to think about it. Most of the people who were fishmongers and all that, it's pretty much a shithole country. You can compare old Singapore with other countries in the world. You might agree with what I have to say. So the, the point I'm trying to get across is that the, the food in the past, right, when Singapore went from shithole to second world to first world, and finally to Brave New World, Elder Saxley kind of mega metropolis, utopia, H.G. Wells kind of city, is that people will only be motivated, right, if the food is nice. You notice? Last time the laborers, right, you think they're going to eat shit and build the thing. Everybody had a proper role to play when it came to building up Singapore. That's why the hawker food, right, those old school hawkers, like those old school braised duck, chicken rice, yeah, there's some old school chicken rice, but most of them are okay. And then there's chakwetel. Like you see the way they, they fry it, they, they're using a proper stove and all that. Because they, they, they use these techniques because they understand their rule. Everyone's putting hard work. They as a hawker or like a street vendor you call it in the past, they, they can't be lazy and cook shit. What, luncheon meat? Okay, last time no luncheon meat. Nah. They got to cook like, some, some garbage, they pick up cockroaches and all that. No, no, that's in the future. It's funny how we are regressing to eating bugs very soon. And so you have to notice that these hawkers in the past, right, they are, they are very motivated to provide the best food possible, right, for the laborers. Because everybody puts in hard work, right, you are more motivated to build a better future for your children. And that's why I really believe that these laborers, these hawkers, our founding fathers, together with the initial, for lack of a better word, the initial government that we have, which is a very small, limited government, Lee Kuan Yew and the rest. It's funny how people remember Lee Kuan Yew, no, not the rest. Okay, I don't know who are the other founding fathers. You only know Lee Kuan Yew because yeah, he's probably the, <laughs> he's the head honcho, right? He's the he's yeah. the mafia. He's the he's the big G, the big G of Singapore. Uh, honestly, this guy is so tall for Asian, and he makes everybody just string their balls when they see him. So together, Lee Kuan Yew and the founding fathers, all that, they're all motivated to make this country better. So of course, the food's gonna be great, right? You can't kind afford of to have the laborers right putting concrete on the on the freaking pavement and then eating what not instant noodles after that and then oh shit I, I hate meal time because I work so hard and why I get freaking bread like there's a hustle of Yakun the Yakun story was very interesting he learned the, the craft and then he made it better and then his son took over and then eventually became Yakun as we know today so that's one thing that's why the, the food in the past used to taste better because it's made of love like how your ama cook it's always love your, your mom cooks it's love and so when you compare the past and now I remember eating very, very nice with the small businesses, all these random shops that appear in shopping malls, there's the strip, neighborhood, underneath the neighborhood. I eat those food and then it's like, wow, it's pretty good, you know? They don't give a shit. They don't give you like bad, badly cooked food. 
it's marginally okay. I would say it's uh, quite decent. I, I do enjoy eating some of these restaurants in the past because I do know that these guys, right, are running a business. And know what's the ultimate thing about running a business, a small business, is that you're responsible for yourself, right? So when you're responsible for yourself, right, what are you going to do? Going to screw up your business and make sure that food tastes bad. Because last time, right, before we had this Singapore that we have, all these small businesses, right, will manage to build a reputation and provide you food so that you patronize. That's why like competition was very fierce. That's why it was called a free market. It was a free market where everybody competed. Yeah, like Tom, Dick and Harry are starting Taiwanese shop. The guy was not even Taiwanese. He just went to Taiwan for a holiday and came back and started a Taiwanese eatery. And by the way, that's my neighbor. I'm not sure if you know him, but yeah. he started a Taiwanese eatery. Everybody went to eat because it's the closest thing to Taiwan. Okay, I'm not saying that it tastes like Taiwan. What I'm trying to say is that the free markets always decide who wins. So let's say you're offering a shit product. Who's going to eat? Like, honestly, who's going to eat your shit product? And so you fast forward to today. All these small businesses are gone. Small businesses are the bedrock of this nation, especially when it comes to food. Because food is the most simple stuff to prepare. And by the way, this Zoom thing is telling me that the meeting will end in 10 minutes. So I'll just wrap up this point. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is that the food tastes better last time because it was a free market. It was competition everywhere. So people were incentivized to ensure that the food tastes great. You get it? And so now today, right, you look at all the businesses around you. I don't know how in the heavens they managed to get such a good, good location, good real estate, all that, to set up their food business. And then all of a sudden, right, it's like they can hire part-timers here and there instantly. Last time when you run a small business, right, you know how strapped for cash all these people are? You know how hard is it to sustain a business while being super tight? Because you have your own family feed, you have everyone to feed. But then when we look at the food business now, right, it's not just corporations or like franchises. It's just actually solars. And there's no need for the food to taste good because it's not a small business. It's a corporation. You have probably politically connected here and there. And so that's why I would say the food standard is dropping because it's no longer about love anymore. It's all about making money. It's very different. Small businesses, right, they have reputation uphold. They can actually remember every single customer that they have. Even I recognize every single customer that I have. They walk through my door. And we look at a corporation, you walk in, you order a freaking latte. The freaking Starbucks barista look at you, I think I won't sweet time to make it a latte. And who knows, maybe it tastes like, I don't know. I have not drank Starbucks in a very long time. Not saying that Starbucks is bad. I'm just trying to say that the psyche of the nation has changed. We are changed from hardworking laborers, hardworking, sort of the earth kind of Singaporeans to current, the current generation of Singaporeans. Most of them already passed away. Hard labor, hard labor, man. Broken leg, broken hand. Freaking broken neck. My uncle, broken whole body, really deconstruction. It was terrible living conditions, but he built this nation. And now we as the youths, I see so many of them just, you know, they don't even know the history of the country. They don't even know the tough times that our forefathers went through to build this nation. And so it kind of pains me. And the fact that most of them have never seen how the free markets work, which is a very concerning thing. Because very soon, right, we'll be walking a very thin line. Because the food industry is one thing that tells you about everything. Because when people start to consume food, right, it's not very good for them, right? Guess what happens? It sounds very pseudoscience-ish, right? but it actually affects your DNA structure and the way you can process information. Of course, there's a lot of things that we can't see on this planet. It's the invisible or the energy realm. Maybe I'll talk more about it next time. So yeah, I think that's another topic you have to talk about, right, today? Yes, so we'll save um, all those other interesting topics for another time. So uh, thanks, Juan, for a very insightful discussion today. Uh, so what we have hear, heard today from you is about your view about uh, how uh, 
the kind of mindset that you should adopt in starting a food business. And you also gave a bit, uh, a bit of insight about, into the food history and also some insights into the food landscape in Singapore. So um, my very last question, and also I'm pretty sure the viewers are actually interested to hear. You mentioned that uh, you have a food business and, and also a book. So maybe you want to elaborate a little bit about that. Okay, so when it comes to the book, right, I've been thinking of writing a book for a very long time. I have some friends told me, you know what, you're too young to write an autobiography or that. But I believe that this book that I'm writing, or I've already written already, I'm now currently formatting into a book. I formatted most of it, I just need to put it together. Is that this book is about a business, running a business in the, the worst market conditions, COVID-19. Or I would say running a business in, it's very selfish for me to say COVID-19. I would say running a business in public health bureaucracies existing because you can run business COVID if there's no restrictions they are fine you know what someone dropped dead beside you whatever but you're running business public health bureaucracies it means that right there's regulations mandates all that blah, 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 being scattered over the place so there's there's two minefields you have to navigate first is COVID the second one is whatever the for lack of a better word central planners are, are, are doing a lot of food businesses actually close down during this period and so I started a food business or more like I took over a food business together with my chef from his partner. And then we ran it during the worst time to run a food business. I'm telling you, I, I went through days where it was dead quiet. Not to mention the area that I set up my business was quite quiet. It's in the school compound. Maybe I'll talk about it more in the future. And so if you really want to know how the COVID restrictions were in Singapore, I think you should check out my book. It's called Rogue Capitalist. I'll link the pre-order in future podcast episodes and all that. But that's one thing that you do have to know is that if you think that whatever's happening to the food industry, right, is concerning you, right, then you're right. Because when it comes to the food, right, the number one thing that, okay, there's a quote that Henry, Henry Kissinger once said, is that what? You control the food, you control the people. Or so what? You control, the, you control money, you control the world. Something that goes along that line. So like I mentioned that it, the food you consume changes your psyche and all that, right? And so when it comes to running a food business, right, you, a lot of them are not conscious with what they're selling. So one part of the book right, that I did mention, especially because I have roots in the food industry, both my parents were chefs and I'm probably running a food business, second generation food business owner. I can tell you that a lot of these guys who are running food business right, are doing it out ego. Funny, right? It's always ego that most food businesses run on. Because most people around food businesses, right, they want to do it because they have, what, 100, 200,000 lying in one corner and they decided, you know what, I'm going to open a cafe, I want to tell the whole damn world that I run a cafe. You know what, going to have some food blogger come and advertise and say my cafe is like, like how Jesus turned the water into wine. And then when you go there, you see, oh, it's the same latte, it's the same avocado toast, it's the same, what else they sell a cafe? Eggs Benedict. It's the same yeah, freaking, yeah, the same freaking <laughs> menu. It's like, it's like if you want to go on a date, right? And you, I can tell you, you bring girls on 10 different dates. Freaking hell, the menu is still the same. The free, same freaking cafe. So what I'm trying to say is that a food business, right? Especially a cafe, right? It's an ego trip. It's just, oh, I feel damn, damn good. You know, I have some cash lying on the corner. I don't want to be a rational investor you know, and, uh, you know, buy some going sewer. I, I don't want to speculate on uh, whatever's the hot doggy coin that's available <laughs> on exchanges. So they say, you know what's the next? What's the best move? I'm going to be a damn good philanthropist. I'm going to take the $200,000 that I, I worked on and built on for my entire life and I'm going to 
hire people and redistribute my wealth. And so when you don't run a business, like a, when you don't run your food business like an actual business, right, you're going to lose money. Like they always say, money in the hands of a fool always goes missing. Whereas money in the hands of a skilled individual, right, always multiplies. And so that's one thing that I did mention in my book is that many people, right, they just start food businesses right, without a plan. They just, you know, start your know, ego trip. Whereas you compare right, the online business owner, the online food business guy, right, the guy got a plan, man. Within one year, he's going to make 200, 300K. And then you want him to set up a brick and mortar? Why would he? He already got pre-orders. Why would he need to set up? Ego trip? No, he's smart. He knows what to do with his capital. I don't know why he's planning to do with the next business idea of his or her because I, I do realize that even though they say it's a her that starts an online business, bakery, la la la, the girl's the one that's making the stuff, but who's the one running the business? It's always the boyfriend because the guy is the one that cares about the money. The girl cares about, oh wow, the food tastes great, oh, very sweet, la la la. That's what I'm saying. We're running a business, right? It's always the guy that cares about the money. You know what? He, he's probably like, oh, you know what? My, my girlfriend is pretty good at baking. She really wants to run a business, but I think that if I let her set up a proper business, she's going to get broke. She's going to get fleeced by the landlord, get fleeced by the food bloggers and all the freaking social media guys. You know what? I'm going to be a pimp. I'm going to pimp her out. I'm going to help her advertise and all that. I'm going to make her wear a bikini, holding the, holding the cupcakes, and I'm going to market to everybody. Yep, it's the guy. It's the guy's the head honcho. is a smart man. You want to make money, and then you say, you know what, honey? With this money, we can honeymoon and whatever you want to do. And then we start our next business after that. And then the girl probably like, oh, okay. Yeah, basically that's how most online businesses are. And that's why if you're planning to run a food business, I always do online. It's like drop shipping. It's simple. You get pre-orders, you do it. You don't start a brick and mortar and set it up. And that's why I, that's what spurred me to write the book. Another part of the book that I included is that what's going to happen in the future? Everyone wants to know what's going to happen in the future. And so you want to know what happens in the future whether we're going to eat cockroach burgers every day and drink soy lattes, you should check out my book. And I'll list it in the description below. And if you want to eat some of the best food in Singapore, the very best that Singapore has to offer, it doesn't contain any GMO, and which actually makes me angry because my food cost is very high. And when a guy like me tells me that my food cost is high, you should actually eat at my place. I'll link the directions to my restaurant in the YouTube description. And I think, okay. yeah, that's all for today, right? Yes, yes, that's all. Oh, my restaurant name is called Simon by Chef Simon Luke. It's in Singapore University of Technology and Design. You can Google it. Okay. Yeah, sure. Thank you, everybody. Please like and subscribe and look forward to our next episode. See ya, guys.